Hello and welcome to this week's Gigi Weekend Watch, where we have been reunited. Yes, it is the return of the one and only Daryl Carter on the back of his very well-deserved holiday and surviving a hurricane. So hopefully he's back in much calmer waters now, back in Blighty. And you feel at least a bit refreshed anyway, Daryl. So great to have you back. And of course, Daryl will be back with plenty more winners guaranteed then for this weekend. And alongside Daryl, we have Andrew Mad, who hasn't had to survive a hurricane, but has had to survive holding the fort, though. Not without good company, though. And a huge thank you to Rob Plumbridge for all of his stellar works and brilliant tipping along the way to boot as well. So just to echo that, I'm going to go back through last week's results because the lads had a very good week. Dear my friend who placed for both Andrew and Rob at 11 to 2. Alpha Capture won at 5 to 2 as Rob's nap. Kima placed at nine to one for Andrew. Royal Scotsman placed at 12 to one for Andrew's each way nap, which was a serious shout in a race of that nature. Dakota Gold placed at 11 to one for Rob and Zoffy placed at 16 to one for Rob as well. Don't know why he's not on the screen there for today. So well done though, lads, for last week, but it is British Champions Day this Saturday for the flat season big finale. So we shall kick off and we begin with the 125. This is the Kitco British Champions Long Distance Cup, which is a group two for three-year-olds and over over two miles, where we actually actually have Trushan declared with the ground apparently soft enough for him to get a run at least and he is the current joint favourite with Eldar Eldarov at 5-2 to two as well. So uh, I've done enough talking now Daryl, welcome back, back over to you please. Thank you, yeah I'm, I'm lucky to get my spot back by all, by all of means, the lads are flying so uh, hopefully a couple of winners this week. Yeah th this, is, this is a good race isn't it, it's, it's a cracking race. Um, I was of the opinion that Eldar Eldorop was going to be overbet on this, in this, on that uh, Doncaster St. Ledger run. Um, I have no, just talk about ratings quickly. I have no idea why he's gone up seven pounds for that run, mm. right? That that run, albeit it was the Doncaster St. Ledger, if you compared that to Trushan's run of the Doncaster Cup, right, you'd have seen that he was 10 lengths faster, uh, it was a better time. But when you actually delve into it, he was seven lengths slower from the 5.5 furlong point to the finish line than Trushan. So Trushan's Doncaster Cup was slowly run. It turned into a sprint that wasn't going to suit him. His head was all over the place. I would forgive him that run. Back to Eldar Eldorov. If you compared it to the handicap on the card, one by Going Gone, it was very, very similar. Now, Going Gone went up a pound for that. Eldar Eldorov went up seven pounds. In fact, Eldar Eldorov was slower from 5.5 furlongs out to the finish line than Going Gone was. Now, I know he won by with a bit in hand, but £7 is a, a big raise in the ratings. Now, why does that make any sense? Because he's getting £9 here from Trushan as a three-year-old. So I just wanted to make the point that if people are adding £9 onto the 116 and coming up with, with a number, I wouldn't be totally relied on it, reliable on it. Um, because I don't think he's worthy of that rating at all at the moment. I was I'm in an iron for a couple of days over this. Is Trushan too big? Is he not? Do I make him 11 to 8 shot? Do I not? I couldn't, I couldn't work it out. So it's not going to be a betting race for me, but Waterville was the horse that I'm, I'm going to come down on. Now, this horse obviously ran a remarkable race in, in the Irish Zara to come from where he did to win. And just to touch on times again quickly there. From three out to the finish line, he was only a shade slower than, uh, than the Group 3 winner over seven furlongs on the card. So it was a hell of a finishing effort for him. For him. And he's always been considered as a derby horse for, for Aidan O'Brien. Now, if you look back at the derby, any Aidan O'Brien derby horses going into it, they're rated between 110 and 117. 
So maybe instead of looking at him as, oh, he's only won a handicap off 99, now he's in this, perhaps look at him as they picked that up on the way because it was a good prize and he really should be rated in the one teens. Now, if that's the case and he's getting nine pounds, he's completely unexposed, had two starts over extreme distances and is getting the nine pounds. I think he's the horse to be with. If Trushan underperforms here, I think he'd have to run up to his best to beat Waterville anyway. But... Four to one. If you can get four to one and no shorter of Waterville, I think he would be the bet in the race. But I'm still aminaring what price Trushan should be. So therefore, I'm still trying to work out the market in terms of yeah. betting. But the tip would definitely be Waterville at this stage. Oh, he's come back swinging. This is great, oh. though. That the, the analysis from from the five and a half furlongs out, then everything. Daryl is back, back in business, and refresh of that, and giving you Waterville at this stage anyway at four to one to take on the two at the head of the market. But I mean, we don't even know if Trishan's definitely running at this stage, let alone what the market is actually going to look like nearer the off. So yeah, Daryl's back, Andrew. Back to you, please. <laughs> Yeah, welcome back, Daryl. We haven't heard the, the words Naposaurus Rex just yet, but I'm sure it's only a matter of time. <laughs> give it time, give it time. For, for, the, uh, for the GG Weekend Watch Bingo card. And uh, I might throw in my, uh, if I, uh, better than the price of a lottery ticket later on, just to keep regular <laughs> listeners happy. Yeah, this, this is a tricky one because um, when you're looking at it, you know, um, earlier in the season, you think, yeah, Trujan's going to be kept back for a, a soft ground campaign. Won the race for the last two years. It'll probably be softer, even heavier at Ascot on Champions Day. And it's going to be game over. He, he was 11 to 1 when he won it two years ago, even money last year. And now you're thinking, well, have have they ruined his campaign by running him on unsuitably fast ground at Ascot earlier in the season? You can understand the temptation to run him in the uh, in, in the Gold Cup when you know he was a gallant third to Kipriot, but it was still the wrong decision with hindsight because he hated the ground. Uh, he's then gone to Doncaster where, you know, good to soft probably should have been slow enough from he's gone off nine to two on he's managed to get himself beaten so he's coming here on the back of two defeats at odds of two to one and nine to two on and um what looked like being favorable conditions on monday when they were saying the heavens were going to open today with half an inch or more of rain there's now no appreciable rain and ascot are sort of although i think they're still calling it good to soft soft in places at the time of recording they're saying it's just going to be on the easy side of good so i'm thinking I, I can quite happily let him win at two to one, seven to four, whatever he's going to be. You then look at the next two, Elder Elderoff, Waterville. Again, three-year-olds, not from 14 in the race in the last 10 years. I mean, the expected winners was only, I think, 1.1. 1 .1. Um, you, you've had full place, including Tashkan at 50 to one last year. But the prices don't excite me. And there's a fascinating quote about um, Waterville. Which, but, um, after his win in, in the Irish Cesarewitch, which Daryl said was impressive in terms of sexuals, uh, Aidan O'Brien said, Waterville is a, this is quoting from the Racing Post, Waterville is a massive horse and next year he's going to be something different. Over the winter he's going to turn into a different animal, maybe a unicorn. Now he didn't say that, I, I just added that. <laughs> but again, and, and, and uh, Coltrane, who um, chinned uh, Trushan, again, he, they were saying, oh, he had a long hard, he's had a long hard season, we weren't, weren't sure he'd get away with it on good to soft ground at Doncaster, but he did. So again, this looks like a bit of an afterthought. So you've got a couple of horses there. You're thinking, well, you know, maybe next year's going to be their year. Um, you know, Trushan, the ground's drying out and he's coming here on the back of two defeats. So you're like, what do I want to back in the race? The answer is probably nothing. I mean, you know, Quickthorn had a very hard race in France, um, went from the front in that desperately deep ground. That was only 14 days ago. You know, how's he going to come out of that? Trawler man could do with it quicker. 
Um, and then you sort of come to the two rats and you sort of, they're easy to dismiss at first hand. And you think, well, hang on a minute. You've got Wordsworth at 50 to 1. He's a full brother to Kew Gardens. He won this two years ago. Uh, he's described as a lazy and stuffy sort at home, although he has won first time out. It's been in weaker races. So the fact that he's had a recent run within the last three weeks, he might run some sort of race. James Doyle on board advises his track so well. And Strata move because he's, um, you know, won the uh, Queen Alexandra Stakes at Royal Ascot. Probably could do it three miles rather than um, two miles round here. But Blink is on for the first time. And what's fascinating, William Buick was on board last time out. And whenever a horse rocks up in first-time blinkers, having been ridden by Buick on its latest start, they've got a really good record. They show a massive profit because William Buick gives such good feedback. And if he says this horse needs headgear, you know, he, he's probably right. Um, so I'd, you give me a fiver, I'll put a pound each way on Wordsworth, a pound each way on Stratum and buy four Freddos with the other coin. <laughs> by four Freddos. You'd be lucky in this day and age, I tell you now, to be getting in for that price, Andrew. But yeah, so looking towards the two outsides of the field and Wordsworth, 50 to 1. Can't trust him to get his head in front, but like you say, he's a fair price then to reach the frame. Anyway, Strass and the outsider in the field, 80 to 1 then. Uh, good cases made against those at the head of the market for those at the uh, bottom of it, therefore, by Andrew. Right, next race. This is the two o'clock. This is the Group 1. Kitco, British champion, sprint six, four three-year-olds and over, over at six furlongs, where Creative Force heads away as the three-to-one favourite in a bid to win this race for the second year running. So super competitive, Andrew. Who wins? Yeah, a couple of interesting stats. Last time out winners, one from 45 in the past 10 years. Uh, expected wins was over four and a half. Uh, and horses have wore, uh, wore headgear naught from 35 uh, in, the, in the past 10 years. So, uh, yeah, if, if you're into your stats, a couple of things to consider. I mean, Rohan, we know, loves his course and distance. Um, four from five, the defeat coming in this race last year. Um, but again, he's, he's a last time out winner. And um, do you want to back him at nine to two in a, in a race like this? Having worked, you know, you, you were getting a similar price for a group three over course and distance last time out. Um, is he value at the same sort of price? I mean, created fourth. Where's he been since July? And uh, you know, is is that stall thirteen draw going to be a disadvantage? We saw in the uh, in the Bengal Stakes uh, the last Ascot meeting that those drawn low, racing more towards the far side, were favoured. And uh, it was certainly the case. It's certainly been the case in this race previously as well. Now you, you look at last year's runner. More interesting, I thought, was Art Power, um, who was three to one favourite for this race last year finishing fourth to creative force, won the race on the near side, um, you know, first in his group. You, you look at the first four home draw, five, two, four, and 18 of 20. The next home on the stand side was Highfield Princess, finishing fifth from stall 20, and look what she's done this year. Um, you know, he also ran fourth in this in 2020, and he was best of the near side bunch, went third in last year's Diamond Jubilee. So Art Power's got the course form, he, he's stall eight of 18. He does fall down on those last time out winner stats. But I'd certainly be looking at a horse like him at eight to one than either of the front two, you know, particularly Creative Force. I just think it's the wrong price. Um, Ventura Diamond was one. I, I bet a hundred to one anti post in anticipation of soft or heavy going. Ran pretty well in this race last year, finishing tenth. Um, and again, she, you know, this this is an autumn autumn horse, but um, the drying ground is not ideal. And I'm coming down on the side of a funny one, a horse I've not been particularly complimentary about in the past. And that's King's Lynn. Uh, oh, th I didn't expect that. <laughs> at 33 to 1. Now, I mean, Andrew Baldwin's won this with an outsider before, don't want triumphant. And um, yeah, the, the big field's ideal, the ground on the easy side of good is ideal. And you look at his course form, excluding runs on good to firm ground. He's finished third of 21, uh, third of 21 in the Wokingham last year, 
uh, second of 12 in last year's Ben Goff stakes, uh, and fourth of 10 in a, in a five furlong listed race last uh, last time when you know he, he stayed on well from off the place, five furlongs possibly too sharp nowadays, and he met trouble in running. Now you look at him, he, he's, a, he's in a frustrating so-and-so because he ne- he tends to find trouble in big fields, but he also needs a strong pace, the sort you only normally get in the big field. So when he has won, he's tend to be drawn on the outside of the field. Now you look at his wins, he's, he's, he's won from stall 1 of 20, um, stall 8 of 11, uh, 1 of 15 and 2 of 10. When he's had uh, a draw in stall 2 or lower, I think he's won 3 of his 6 starts. Um, so he's drawn in stall 2, he should get room, you know, there's pace on the far side. And uh, I just thought 25-33 is I'll take a chance on Kings Lynn. I did, I did not expect you to go down the Kings Lynn route. Goodness I surprised me. myself. Yeah. All hell will break loose if Kings Lynn goes and wins this now after so many people have followed this horse off of that cliff. But what, what a result it would be for the King then as well after he got his first stakes winner the other day at Yarmouth of all places. Um, yeah, so, so 33 to 1 for Kings Lynn for Andrew Darrell. Did you catch that fly first and foremost? And second of all, who wins this? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's still around here somewhere. Um, it's not the first time I've had a fly in here. It might have been like a right old tramp. Um, followed you back from Florida. Yeah, I can't believe he's on Kings Lynn. Oh, yeah. grief, you give me. Um, I thought Creative Force was the, definitely the right favourite. Um, I thought if he, I thought he had ideal conditions. To be honest with you, a bit of cutting the ground. He's unbeaten when he's. Oh, he's been beaten once with, with cutting the ground. That was sort of seven furlongs by a neck and the Lennox by Kim Ross. Uh, he he loves his track. Um, he's, you know, he's beaten half of these already. Um, but like Andrew says, where has he been for the last 98 days? So that, that would have to be a slight concern, even though he still is the choice of William Buick over Naval Crown. Um, Naval Crown, another one to give a good mention to, uh, I tipped up at 33 to 1, I think, to win this, not to win this, was it? To win earlier in the season. Mm. Die the Platinum Jubilee. Very um, nicely done. <laughs> a little plug. Um, <laughs> he, he's a lovely horse, but uh, I, I think he could just give creative force a time into the race, John 16 and 13. And... Um, I think creative force, if he's on song, will win this. But the slight concern is, is that he disappointed in the run before winning this race last. Was it this race last year or before winning the Ascot last last time? Mm-hmm. Um, he disappointed at Newmarket, and I didn't really find any excuses for him um, behind alcohol free in, in the July Cup. Really, he had the ideal scenario, he was towed into the race. He just wasn't good enough. Maybe it is Ascot that brings out the best of him, which is ironic because he disappointed as a two-year-old at this venue when well fancied in a race won by Nando Parada in the commentary. Um, but I think he's the most likely winner. Look, I'm going to take a bit of a chance on one, uh, and that's uh, Tenor Brism. I've always thought this horse was a, a sprinter, always. Um, now, the time figure of her Chiefly Park win over six when beating Flotus was basically on par with that of Perfect Power. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Perfect Power has stepped up to the level this this year. Um, whereas I think that she improved her form when she went over at, when she went over a seven and won the uh, won the uh, Jean Pratt over in um, over in Deauville. I think she improved her form there. I think they've been trying to work out her right trip because she's had entries over a mile two. She's had entries over a mile. She doesn't stay a mile. That's that's the bottom line of it. She doesn't stay. Um, and normally with those horses, they want to obviously come back and trip or they want to go up to an extreme distance where they can travel a lot stronger. Um, I don't think their last three runs have been as bad as it seems. The run behind Kim Ross, she was left for dead by him um, 
in the, in the in the foray, but she went around the inside rail the entire race, and anything that day that went around that inside rail on what was actually soft ground just finished legless. So I wouldn't hold that against her. And I thought she ran a cracker at Leopardstown behind um, Pearl's Galore and the Matron. I just think that she changes her legs at a certain part of the race, as in to quicken again, and then she just doesn't sustain it. I definitely think she's a sprinter. So completely unexposed, if you like. Has got the time figure on par with perfect power. Has improved this season. And I just think I just think there's a big pot in her. She was so impressive in that uh uh, that new market race beating being floaters. I think there's more to come for us. She's around twelve to one shot, which is probably about the right price. But I, I, I think it's worth taking a chance. In all honesty, yeah, I, I'm so pleased that you said that about her trip because I keep thinking, am I completely missing something here? She is not a miler. She's no, not she's even not. a seven furlong horse for me. Like I said, her pedigree doesn't suggest that she wants any further. Uh, that that she's a sprinter anyway. So I I just kept thinking. I was like. Why do they keep doing this with her? And it's um, strange that they've taken so long. Yeah. Look, you know, Brian would normally do it once or twice and then go, right, that's it. But with her, it just seems to have taken so long. And I don't understand why, but maybe maybe she's just not that good. Maybe they've tried her at sprinting trips at home and they're like, no she good. Got the speed. Yeah. yeah. So there must be something why they keep because who, who am I to question Aiden O'Brien's decisions over trips and such like? But over and over again when she wasn't getting the mile i just yeah it really was kind of baffling to me as well so i'm happy that you've said that and that's why she was a danger on this basis for me coming back to the six file on the 12 12 to 1 probably is then a very fair price for her but yeah good cases made by the pair of you now of course in this race for myself i have well a whole load of my favorite horses three of my favorite horses at least in this race of course creative force kim ross Perfect Power, three of my absolute all-time faves. Um, but with uh, Perfect Power, obviously with Tom Marquand taking over now from Christoph Sumian as well. And he has been well below himself in his last two starts. I know he's one on good to soft, but I just wonder if this will be on the slightly softer side than for him. I think he's better on a sounder surface. Creative Force, therefore, kind of has to be the default selection for the win purpose at least because uh, hopefully to win this end for a second year running he has all conditions in his favor once more apart from being drawn in stool 13 i'm not entirely sure that's going to suit because as you said andrew low draws have been seen to a better effect in this race in recent years because as we know on a well this is this is what correct me if i'm wrong but on a sunny day at ascot when we're getting into the autumn the way that the sun comes across and the way that it rises it means that the grandstand's shadow is more towards the far side of the track rather than uh, the near side of the track rather than the far side as the sun then moves around so obviously dependent on sunny days or not your far side tends to dry out with that sun beating down on it more so than the near side so yeah low draws definitely to the four again then but bar that creative force just has such a similar enough profile to last year coming into this race with obviously that larger break which you don't know about since his last run and he's just brilliant over this course and distance so he should be bang there again with this being the target but one at a much bigger price because we talk about the low draw factor who i am still interested in i think the ground may just be on the softer side for her but if it is drying out the whole while she's on the better ground on that far side double or bubble at 40 to 1 I am still interested in backing uh, only small stakes each way then. So I just, I think that she is a six furlong horse. I don't, not the seven furlong she's been running over on her last two starts. She goes well at this track. She really did run below herself last time out at Doncaster, coming from further back than ideal, admittedly, but back in trip, 
at Ascot, she might be able to outrun her price from stall one at 40 to one for me. So that is a comprehensive look at the champion sprint stakes. The following race is the 240. This is the group one Kitco British champions, Phillies and Mare's stakes for three year olds and over, over a mile four, where Emily Upjohn bids to bounce back from a poor run in the King George last time out. But more importantly, according to Ascot's advertising campaign, at least anyway, Cela Rosa runs here, the headline <laughs> act of British champions day. So at a current eight to one shot. Uh, but anyway, uh, here, Daryl, aside from Cela Rosa's free advertisement, who do you like? So you want to check out win now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they were right all along. <laughs> I thought, honestly, I, I went through this race quite a lot, and I, I genuinely thought this revolved around Emily Upjohn um, coming back. Uh, John Gosford's got a, a fantastic record. Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm looking at the wrong thing, but you're wrong. John Gosford runners in a hood, 42%. In three-year-olds with a hood, 38.7%. My angle, uh, Daryl, is um, on turf, Gosden runners in the first-time hood since 2014, 22 from 59, 37.3%, profit of 116 quid at NSP. He had, right, two, yeah. he had two at Yarmouth uh, uh, earlier this week. Uh, I, I put them up both in uh, one of my columns, and then... Um, didn't back the one the next day. It drifted from sixes out to twelves and one at Leicester. Um, <laughs> so uh, typical. But yeah, Gosden in a hood is a very strong positive angle. Yeah, thirty-three percent with a bit on three-year-old fillies. I found as well. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, look, I thought she was the most likely winner of this race. I, she clearly didn't give her running um, at Ascot last time, and she's been in a, in a queue in a King George. You you have to forgive a horse one run. I think you have to forgive a horse. She's the best horse in the race. The form lines throughout the whole of this entire field go back to Nashua Tuesday and Emily Upjohn. No, no other horses in this field were considered classic horses, if you like. She was. If, four to one about her. If you can get four to one about her, I think that's a very fair bet to forgive the last run. She's done nothing wrong prior to that. I think she's genuinely the best horse in the race. If you're looking for one at a massive price uh, or a big price, Insinuendo, I don't understand why they've not stuck this horse up to a mile four, um, a mile four sooner. She, she, I'd forgive the run last time at Longchamp when she was well behind uh, Nashua and above the curve. She was at the rear of the field. She had nowhere to go for much of the race. It was a very, very slowly run race. Really slowly run. Like, so much so that my Astra, who was right at the back, is a horse putting trackers because that horse did remarkably well and went down the inside on the same day where the ground was just churned up down there. So my Astra is a, a proper horse. I would keep her on side. But uh, Insinuendo, it's got some really strong form in the book. And every run, she looks like she wants a, an increase in trip. So a 25 to 1, I'd probably take a small chance on her, but I genuinely think that this revolves around whether Emily Upjohn is back to herself or not. Um, and I think 4 to 1, I'd take a chance at 4s. Yeah, OK. So take a chance at 4s, that's probably a fair price then for Emily Upjohn. Like you say, market is kind of tentative really around her, mm. to be honest, isn't it? Like you say, makes sense though on the back of that disappointing run last time out, but well, they, there was mitigating circumstances. They, the market was tentative around in Spiral's return as well, wasn't it? When mm. she absolutely bolted up. So it, the market doesn't often reflect John uh, John and Daly Gosden's horses return. He's got to, he never sends them half cooked when they go to the track. Yet the market will always make you feel like oh I don't know. But um, if she drifts, I, I wouldn't be too worried. 
No, no. So like you say, it's all dependent on yards and everything. If you pay that much attention or the gravitas you put onto market drifts and things. But love the first time hood stats from the pair of you for Emily Upjohn. That's a definite positive. But also mention them for Insinuendo, who's 25 to 1. Big price then as well uh, to see how this race pans out. Andrew, uh, are you also siding with the first time hood angle then? Um, yeah, I like Emily Upjohn for that reason. Um, I mean, Mimic Q, who runs in this, um, she did the same sort of thing. She bombed out in a listed race at York and then uh, finishing seventh when 100 to 30 rocked up in the first time hood at Donny in a group two and um, Julie won very comfortably at odds of 13 to two. And he's done that time and time again. Uh, I mean, Ashada's respected on the strength of her Ascot form. Stay alert. I was worried about uh, the fact she's going right-handed for the first time. Sweet lady. I was worried about her front-running style. The, the one I tipped in Racing Football Outlook early this week with Alba Flora, sort of hoping for very deep ground, um, given that um, she's got a good record at the track. Four of her top six career Racing Post ratings have come here at Ascot. She's around 25 to 1. Uh, I'll probably stick with her, but save on Emily Upjohn. Um, a tri tricky old race. I mean, it, it shows how odd it is to find the winner of this race. You, in the last 10 years, you could just back every horse who finished fourth or worse last time out and either made a profit of £25 and found five of the 10 winners. So it perhaps sort of pays to um, look for those without the obvious last time out form, uh, like Cela Rose and Mimic Hue and Eternal Pearl, and perhaps be a bit more creative. So uh, I'll go uh, Alba Flora over Emily Upjohn. Okay, okay, that's absolutely throwing cold water on my horse in here now. But, uh, but yeah, Alba Flora then over Emily Upjohn. I agree that the race is centred around Emily Upjohn at the head of a the market, therefore. So I've gone in with the each way angle as well. And uh, unfortunately, though, for me, it doesn't agree with the trends that you've just been revealing there, Andrew, of the last time out winners, because stay alert to me at 11 to 1 looks a fair each way price. And we know that this race definitely were siding with the three year olds, given the weight that they then received from their elders. And uh, Sailor is just banged there on the figures with the unexposed profile where I don't think we've seen the peak of her ability yet at all. Just the sixth career start. She's been steadily progressing through the ranks. Step up to group two company on her penultimate start. Didn't quite work out for her where she was held up in rear in the Lancashire Oaks. Obviously that race most known for the barging match then that transpired with between uh, with Free Wind and Cela Rosa, the one two in that race. But Sailor was held up in rear. Wasn't the place to be as it transpired. Dropped back to one for uh, one furlong back last time out. She got back to winning ways in a group three at Newbury in the ARC trial. And she did really well to win that after getting no room repeatedly. So she's been a little bit forgotten about for me here. So very each way price, 11 to 1 for me. Would you worry that her best form has come at Newbury? Yeah, that is clearly. And what Andrew said as well about her going right-handed for the first time as well, that is going to be a little bit of a concern. And especially because I know big galloping tracks, but the finish at Newbury in comparison to Ascot, very, very different. And the fact that she's got to prove it back up in trip as well. Yeah, they, they were the two concerns. It was, it was a cracking run last time. Like, mm. She easily brushed aside the good field at Newbury. Mm. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm hoping mm. for, that form is going to transpire more so than those slight um caveats that i'm gonna have to clarify her with in terms of factoring her into her price as well but yeah it was wasn't it i'm pleased you said that anyway so yeah stay alert to me it's just been a little bit underestimated i think here to be honest with you uh next up is the 320 the group one queen elizabeth the second stakes or the qb2 for three year olds and over over a mile where in spiral is even money favorite no cakewalk though by any means so andrew who do you side with this is an interesting one. Um, 
everyone seemed to buy the explanation that Inspiral got beat at uh, the July Festival because the race came too soon. But I think she was badly drawn, which might sound mm. a bit bonkers in a field of five runners. Um, but she was drawn five of five. Frankie Dettori had, had her more towards that far side rail where a lot of very good horses were getting beat um, that day. And uh, the winner was drawn to store one and bloody Inspiral split my um, reverse forecast um, <laughs> prosperous Voyage and Sandrine, who, who were first and third. So she bounced back to win next time out. But is she badly drawn again? Stall nine of nine, if it is an advantage mm -hmm. to be centre of, uh, you know, far side of centre at Ascot. She might be a little bit exposed on the flank there. And, you know, at the prices, I, I could let her win. Uh, I'd rather back a couple of horses each way uh, against her or, or, you know, back them each way without the favourites. Um, first up of those is Tempest, who's got a really good record on straight tracks. Um, and good course and distance form as well. Three runs over course and distance. First, first, third of 29 in the Royal Hunt Cup. Um, so his career uh, form uh, on straight tracks, um, including uh, dogleg track, there's one run at Salisbury there on, um, so on turf, five wins from nine starts, five from seven away from the Rolly Mile with um, second and third for the defeat. So I think Tempest, I mean, Archie Watson hasn't run many uh, horses at champ on Champions Day previously, although because he won the one with Glenn Shield, didn't he, a couple of years yeah. ago. So from store three, like, you know, again, Tempest can be keen, um, but there's a lot of pace um, drawn near him as well. You've got El Drama, store one, Jadumi, store two, um, Radabag and store four can all race up with the pace. Uh, so I thought uh, he'd get cover on it, 20 to one each way, or without the favour, I thought he was a cracking bet. Uh, the other one I like is Check and Challenge for um, uh, the Bill Knightyard. Um, and, and again, ground-wise, uh, by fast company, anything good or good to softer or softer could bring about improvement. He hasn't had many opportunities on this sort of ground. He ran a good race and a grip to a long shot last time, finishing third. And, uh, you know, although he hasn't um, perhaps reached the heights, we, we you know, that were sort of expected after that debut win and that listed win second time out of Newcastle. You know, maybe it's just a case of, um, you know, he's, he's only had seven runs in his career. Perhaps um, he's going to improve for softer ground, which he's rarely encountered. And there could be plenty more to come. And he's going to be ridden patiently. And we've seen again with the, the night yard with Sir Busker, you know, how many times that they look to have been tilting at windmills and meetings like this, but then he keeps rocking up and finishing, you know, second to, um, you know, good horses at 66 to one and getting group um, group one placed uh, uh, form. So I, I would say back tempers each way and back check and challenge each way, but tempers would be the preferred one. Well, like it in the colours of Glenshield then as well, Hamilton Racing. Yeah, 20 to 1 then for Tempest. Check and challenge 25 to 1 then for William Knight. How cool would that be to, to see him going close again there? So, yeah, each way plays then in the QE2 for Andrew. Darrell, how do you play it? This is my nap in here. <gasps> oh, is, is it a Naposaurus Rex? Or just say it, say it. Uh, no, I don't know. I don't know. No, <laughs> um, but it's my nap. Uh, the Revenant. Uh, Ryan Moore's on the Revenant. Um, I thought this horse was well worth an upgrade uh, behind Erevian at, uh, in, in Longstrom last time. Erevian was only narrowly touched off by um, Inspiral at Deauville. Now, I was disappointed with... I tipped Inspiral at Deauville. I was really disappointed with the run. I thought she clung on from Light Infantry and this uh, Erevian. Um, and I just... For me, there was just the first moment of seeing a chink in the armour of Inspiral. And that happens to coincide, I think I'm right in saying, 
with the first time that she's taken on the boys. Mm. So, and, and I didn't like her draw, similar to Andrew out on the wing. I thought there was stacks of pace on, in this race. I thought that was going to suit the Revenant. But going back to Long's jump behind Arivian, the Revenant had to go about eight or nine horses wide from the rear of the field, right around the bend, while Arivian ducked to the inside, took the shortest route, and beat him by one and a half lengths. And my goodness me, I thought it was worth a huge upgrade. Check and challenge was on the uh, on the front end of a uh, or in the middle of midfield on what was a steady pace. They didn't go too hard, which I thought was again worth upgrading his his effort because he likes the strong pace to aim at. He obviously won this race a couple of years ago. I think he's got the best form in the entire race with his uh, best quarter distance form in the entire race with his two lengths third or fourth to uh, to Baid and Palace Pier. Thought that was a cracking run. He's a remarkably consistent horse, and I love the way that these horses are campaigned in France. They they have a target for them, and the, a lot of the time they'll build them up and then let them down and then mm. build them up again. So I wouldn't always judge a horse from France with a few dodgy form figures in there sometimes they're just trying to build them up i think this season he's been built up for this particular race uh he was smashed by dream loper uh, on seasonal turn but he was nowhere near ready ready for a, for a proper race um and i just think that this is such a weak race i think this is far weaker than the last couple of renewals and and with that little form line that ties in with Inspiral, I think I just think everything's in his favour. It's a Naposaurus Rex, this is. Yeah. The more I talk about it, honestly, I think he'll go very close. He's six to one. He should be half that. Oh, I love it. He got is, more, is he more elite, bullish. Is he an each way Naposaurus Rex, Joe, or are you going to win? Ah, <laughs> uh, he just win, money. All in. All in. You just can't win. have an each way Naposaurus Rex. That's an oxymoron. That doesn't have <laughs> every bit of an object. Good point. Like, yeah, you oxy. <laughs> yeah, Oxy. Yeah. <laughs> Over there. <laughs> yeah. Revenant. Yeah. Daryl, you went through that like a French trained horse. You were building up to it, building up to it with a crescendo at the end then with uh, with the Revenant at six to one. I totally agree. I think this is a weaker QE2 than in previous years as well. So, oh, love that a lot then. Six to one for the Revenant. All on board. Right. Next up, we uh, run to the big one now. Actually, the real headline act, the four o'clock, which is the group one, Co champion stakes for three year olds and over over 10 furlongs where Baid will bow out of his racing career before going to stud as he bids to prove himself as one of the greatest of all time yet again and to remain unbeaten but Adair is a very worthy opponent to make that race this race is that little bit more interesting so Daryl we have the superstar on show here which it will be brilliant to see but how do you play this race? Um, I, I'm not going to play it at all, to be honest. I'm just going to sit back and watch it and enjoy him because it, yeah. he's been an absolute superstar. Um, it, it just gets better and better and better with every single run. And I would not want to bet something can cheer against him, in all honesty. Um, I think the market's got it right. I think he, he's the right price. I think Adair uh, uh, is, is a fair price of 5-1 to one in his second favourite. Um, and I think they are the two best horses in the race. I mean, Bay Bridge is probably pushing it, but again, he's third in the market. So they called it right. Uh, I, I couldn't see any mistakes that I've had you could, but uh, yeah, I, I just hope he wins. I, I really hope he wins. He's, I think racing needs him to win, yeah. um, especially with all the like the crap that we've seen to have gone through over the last year or two. I think having a headline act like Bae, hopefully he'll get on the news and, you know, I, I think we need it. So... Yeah, I'm going to be a fan for this race. 
Oh, don't blame you whatsoever. I'm the exact same, like you say. Hopefully a win for Baid, which means a win for racing then as well. So, so true, like you say. That will make headlines to transcend the sport then if he bows out with a win here. Andrew, do you have a betting angle or are you just enjoying it as well? Yeah, very much so. I mean, these races, you can't not have a bet. It's, it should be a elite, elite, <laughs> Given the each-way shape of this race and the fact that the second favourite, Adair, looks dodgy, you, you should be... Um, you think he uh, looks dodgy? You, you should be barred from having a bet ever again if you don't um, back something each way in this. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the thing with the day, you just worry about the ground. And I know it's drying out a bit now, but it's still going to be on the soft side of good, you know, from what they're saying. And although it was officially good to soft at Doncaster last time, he was 72 on in a three-runner race. Uh, you look before that, you know, I mean, last year he was he was fifth in this race, wasn't he, on on similar ground when, uh, when a five to two shot. And you're just thinking, well, should he really be five to one for this race? Do you want to back him each way? Because it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility that he's not in the three. I mean, Bay Bridge is far more interesting. He's had five runs on good or softer going or Tapita. He's one or five. So he's a, a very solid each way or without the favourite angle. Dubai Honor was second in this race last year. Was he six to one then, I think? Uh, cheap pieces go on. The one I liked in the hope that it is sort of genuinely good to soft or even slower is uh, Max Swinney, the Max Sweeney for um, the Bolger Yard. Now, bear in mind, um, he was third in this race last year as a 40 to one shot. Since then, he hasn't had his ground. And um, his three runs this year, he's got progressively closer, beaten by 17 lengths, nine lengths, six lengths. Similar story last year. He was getting closer and closer to the winner in his three build-up runs to this race. I mean, I'd, if you could choose the ground, you'd have sort of you know, soft, heavy in places or you know, proper heavy, something like that. Um, so it, it's a case really of sort of wait and see, you know, if it is genuinely slow maybe check the times in the first um, you know few races uh, but i thought max sweeney each way 100 to 1 it was more than fair you know dubai honor each way 33s and uh, uh, baybridge each way at 12s all those with that that true without the favorite as well but uh, i'll go max I'll, I'll go baybridge each way for the purpose of this uh, video Okay, so for the purpose of this, a 12 to 1 each way play for Baybridge, but also putting a 33 to 1 each way then for Dubai Honor, and also 100 to 1 then for Maxuini if he does have that softer ground in his favour. Then again, after finishing third in it last year, that looks a huge price. Yeah, each way. So, okay, ways to play this race then, apparently. Daryl and I are just going to enjoy it as fans and soak it all in and have our hearts full. And Andrew will have his pockets full. So, either way, we'll... down, for goodness sake. <laughs> hopefully we'll all be feeling very wholesome afterwards right the final contest is the small easy matter of the paramoral handicap for three runs and over over a mile at 440 it's eight to on the field so the most straightforward race of the day to solve andrew please do exactly that yeah two key questions on champions day card who's going to finish second to baid and who's going to beat mum's tipple into second uh, <laughs> mum's tipple's finished second on the last three occasions and it, it took sort of Frankie de Tori's might to uh, get this uh, thinker to get his head in front at uh, Newmarket earlier in the season. So I, I think really uh, I mean, my um, method is going to be to um, do exactors and um, trifectas. Mum's tipple to finish second. Uh, anything else to sort of win or finish um, first and third in that trifecta. So Mum's tipple coming out of stall nine. That could be an advantage in what we've seen recently on this sort of ground at Ascot. Um, but the ones that were interesting me were uh, Autumn Horse Shalia, who's been nibbled out from 50s into 33s since the betting opened uh, for the Watson Yard. But I'm probably going to go with my main bet on Takarib Bay for uh, Richard Hannon, the stablemate Mum's Tipple, 33 to 1. 
Um, now, this one's only had three runs at this one-mile trip in his career. The first of those came in the 2000 Guineas. He was 125 to 1. It wasn't totally disgraced getting beaten nine and a half lengths by Caribus. He, he's, then, he's then dropped to um, seven furlongs, found it too sharp. Seven furlongs on soft ground, he's managed to scrape home at Haydock. And then they put the cheek pieces on. He ran over course and distance, um, finishing second to Tempest. So again, Tempest might be able to give this one a bit of a, a form boost uh, earlier on the card. And uh, and then since then, they dropped, you know, next time, back to seven furlongs, outpaced, stayed on, beat a length and a half at Goodwood. Uh, back up to a mile, but in a field of just four runners where you know, the tempo of the race didn't suit, finished second. Uh, respectable enough and then last time listed company Newbury back down to uh, seven furlongs again finishing fifth again described as outpaced now given how well he ran the first time cheek pieces second to tempus at 11 to 1 the first time blinkers which is a positive stat for the uh, for the sign knight of thunder um, knight of thunder of course was trained um, to um, get his glory by by richard hammond i just thought from stall two if that does turn out to be an advantage then uh, yeah 33 to 1 uh, given the yard's a good record with first-time blinkers, the size good record with the headgear, then uh, maybe Takaru Bay 33 to 1 could give us a run for our money. Oh, yeah, big price still to the first-time blinkers, Takaru Bay 33 to 1 for Andrew Ford, the Balmoral, Daryl. Are you coming in with a similar approach? Um, yeah, I looked at Takaru Bay. I thought he was interested. I, I, I didn't know if he was quite the strongest at the finish over a mile, but uh, I like Orban. I think Orban's going to have a, a bit a big shout in this. Um, I, I think he's in the form of his life. He's done absolutely nothing wrong. He was unlucky not to beat uh, Armagamba at Goodwood back in August. Um, he obviously that horse has gone on now. He's rated 110. Uh, I just think his form has worked out each and every way you look. He, I think he was better than a bare result of York behind Blue for you as well. Escobar was there in second. I, I just think he's just in an absolute form of his life, and I think coming back up, going back up to a mile. I think he's absolutely ideal for him. Neil Callahan, although I don't like his Twitter account, um, and he's actually not too bad in these uh, in these uh, big field handicaps. So I thought Orban would have a cracking chance, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, he, he could still have a good bit of hand off 100. He's literally in a career best form. So, yeah, for me, he's around 20 to 1. He'll do. Um, there is a handicap debut set in here. Isn't there? Who's that? Stormy Antarctic. Stormy Antarctic. Go I on. Think I'm, I think I'm right in saying he's making his handy up debut. Is it? Let's go back through. Why is it yeah, so surprising? All <laughs> listed group, listed group. Yeah. <laughs> he was in a group one, two starts after a maiden. He has yeah, got right. yeah, just gone back through the whole the whole of um yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He has got he has got former Ascot as well. Um and if the ground is on the softer side, I think he'll be worth a couple of quid each way. This race does sort of normally go to a horse that I suppose is sort of on the cusp of like group company, group three companies. And he, he could be that horse. He's around a 20 to one shot, I think. I, I Drop it into a hat. Sometimes with these horses, these group horses, it sounds silly, but just dropping back into a handicap makes such a difference to them. Um, and you know he's drawn he's drawn fairly in the trap he could go well I, i'll probably have a couple of quid on him but all bound would be the main play for it for me 
Yeah, that really took me by surprise, saw me in target. Because I was thinking, wait, he's nine. He must have run in a handicap at some point. But like I say he went into a condition stakes and then it was all group and listed races thereafter. So, yeah, mark of 103 then. First time in a handicap at the age of nine. <laughs> for saw me Antarctic, uh, fair price zone, self 16 to 1, but Orban then uh, 20 to 1 for, like I say, for Neil Callum, which is, um, yeah, he holds a BHA to account on his Twitter on his Twitter profile anyway. But yeah, he can ride, can't he? Uh, Daryl, back to you please for anything from anywhere else uh, to be honest i haven't got anything from anywhere else i think it's been quite a day for me on saturday i haven't done the uh, market raising cards yet but um i, I did uh, this took time, so much of my effort <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not one bit surprised. Yeah, so stay tuned then for the blog for that, for Daryl's uh, other bets then on Saturday. Andrew, anything from anywhere else? Yeah, I was, um, there's some good racing at Catterick. It's very good handicaps, a lot of class two action. It's soft ground, apparently, so we know that means high numbers and uh, they're going to swing wide into the straight, come down the near side. So in the 245, uh, Muntadab, who has got store 15, he made all at Musselburgh the other day, might be able to follow that up. Uh, the 315, probably one of the most interesting races uh, away from Ascot, is this um, uh, William Hill Catterick dash handicap. Uh, so uh, 0 to 100 handicap. A bit disappointed that Motogali is drawn to 7 of 13 because he's useless on straight tracks generally. And uh, he's had five, six runs of his career going left handed, five wins and a third where he pulled too hard over six furlongs at Lingfield. I mean, Charles Hills, just God knows what he was doing when he had this horse. Just can't, can't, I mean, he, he should have been sold to race in the States or you know, elsewhere abroad you know, years ago. He's rocked up for Scott Dixon as a six year old. He's probably going to have a very successful all weather campaign this winter. Probably going to be, you know, uh, aimed at those listed in group races, I would think, at the likes of Lingfield. Um, but this is his first time left-handed for his new yard. He's running off a mark of 90, and um, you know, he's one off 96 at Bath. Um, that was um, two years ago, like his, his last win. The ground, possibly on the soft side, but certainly, you know, Motigali, see what the price he, price he is. He should be double figures, but maybe have a couple of quid on him, and uh, but with a view to back him on the all-weather this winter. And in the 350, another Catholic rate, Gabriel the Devil. Um, for Richard Foy. Um, a veteran sprint this one, six furlongs, nicely drawn in stall 12, been struggling to get home over seven and seven and a half furlongs at Chester in three of his last four starts. He loves going left handed, he's got a good record at Chester, good record here at Catterick, and uh, yeah, Gabriel of the Devil, uh, probably the strongest bet of those ones mentioned at Catterick. Oh, like it, but yeah, definitely plenty of angles to go into for Andrew away from Asker at this weekend. A good case is made for those selections as well. Uh, so naps then. Andrew, back to you, please, for your nap of the weekend. Um, yeah, nothing super strong. I'll go Gabriel the Devil in that um, Catholic race. So at Ascot, I've tended to just have small each-way bets at, uh, at big prices. Temper's probably the strongest away from Catholic. Perfect. So like you say, sort of an each-way bet then at Ascot as a, as a better bet. Daryl, your nap of the weekend. Yeah, uh, the Revenant in the 320 Q2. There was no surprise to anyone then that that was going to be the case. <laughs> Could have done it myself. But yeah, the Naposaurus Rex and the Revenant for Daryl. And oh, goodness me, I don't know what to do. Uh, I'm going to do Why an Andrew. Each way? I know, I'm going to do an Andrew and do an each way nap then from last week, which I've never done before, but I'm, I'm doing it. It's the end of a flat season, so all hell breaks loose. Uh, say alert then, 11 to 1 each way nap in the 240 at 
Ascot should Emily Upjohn, well, fire or not fire, then at least I'll give myself a little bit of leverage. So that is all the naps, all of the races covered from British Champions Day, as well as a few others then from another track as well. Thank you so much to the lads for all of their hard work. Great to have you back, Daryl. Best of luck with all of your bets this weekend. And thank you so much for watching.